been a long time since I did one of these. Uh, actually, it's been so long that we, I think we have members that were, have not been here when I've done one of these. Uh, this is, I do this, I don't know, once a year, maybe less than once a year. Uh, not very often. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to go through this. This is entirely scripture. And the impetus for this, back when I first did it, was the thing that Lee likes to ask in the men's study. Actually, he's asked it up here at the communion and different things. If a letter of the Bible was written to the church today, what would it sound like? Right? Taking that premise, because uh, you think about when they received the letters of the New Testament, here's what probably would have happened. The guy comes, he has a letter from Paul, he says, I got a letter from Paul. Let's gather everybody together. They'd all gather together. And then somebody would get up and he'd read the letter to the church. That's how it would go. Uh, and so the first time that people were hearing God's word in a lot of cases was an assembled thing like this. Probably not in a building like this, but assembled group. Uh, they need one over there. He, uh, Tristan ran out of papers. I didn't distribute them evenly among the piles. Uh, it would have been like this, right? It would have been a group like this. They would have received a letter. They would have, the guy would have stood up and read it or maybe sat down and read it. And this is how it would have been for the first century, right? This is how it would have been. Uh, so in that idea, in that vein, I have put this together. Now, obviously, my words are not scripture. So you'll see on the back the verses I have used. And, you know, we'll go through this. I'll try to remember to click through when we switch a verse if you'd rather just listen instead of read. But I think it's easier since I'm just going to be reading if people can follow along. And this is in our, our study of Ephesians, right? We're in Ephesians chapter 6. We just talked about the husband and wife in Ephesians chapter 5. And last week we talked a lot about authority and, and submission and the different ways that people respond to authority. And I didn't just want to redo that lesson. We talked a lot about those things last week in chapter 5 about husbands and wives. Chapter 6 of Ephesians, we've got parents and children and masters and servants. And those texts are in here. Uh, I don't remember which ones they are, but the, the Ephesians 6 text is in here. But in a, in a vein of thinking about parents and children and masters and servants, it's about authority and how we deal with authority, how we respond to authority. And so I've put together, if such a letter was written today, and this is all, again, this is all from Scripture, what would that be like if, he, if, some, if a person was going to write us a letter from God about authority and submission? What would that sound like? Here's maybe something that it would sound like. And as we go through this, I want to make a note. I have modified some of the tenses. I've modified some of the pronouns, right, to, to be like it was to us, right? Some of these things, if, it, if I read them verbatim, the tenses wouldn't match and the grammar wouldn't match in the different contexts you put it together. So I've given you the references. You can go back and, and just read them on your own if you want to, but I have modified and, and altered a little bit to make it flow uh, a little bit more easily in our language. So just so you're aware of that. We must be careful how to walk, not as unwise, but wise, in making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We must not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We must not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but we must be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We must strive to be of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. We must have this mindset, which comes from Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So beloved, I urge you as people who do not belong to this world to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among unbelievers honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. With this, this in mind as the goal, we must be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is the will of God, that by doing good, we should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We must live as people who are free, not using freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor those who have earthly authority. Servants, then, should be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. To this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You are straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So we should submit to those in charge of us in this life with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as we would Christ, not by way of eye service, not as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or not. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance uh, as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. To those who have earthly authority, do, to the, do the same to those under your charge and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. 
The wrongdoer will be paid back the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Treat those under your authority justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You shall not rule over them ruthlessly, but you shall fear your God. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here there is not Greek and Jew, uncircumcised and circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So we must always continue to love one another as family. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For with such sacrifices, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So elders must exercise oversight over the flock, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have them, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in their charge, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, they will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, we must be subject to the elders. We must all demonstrate humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by our brotherhood throughout the world. And after we have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, 
who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Hear, children, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Children, if sinners entice you, do not listen to them. Children, keep your father's commandment. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. There is no greater joy than to hear that children are walking in truth. The command to honor our parents is not just for children, little children. Jesus, in confronting the Pharisees, taught it this way. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrine the commandments of men. Paul, in speaking to the church, said it this way. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She was truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Disobedience to parents is just as sinful as all manner of unrighteousness, along with evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. Those who are disobedient to parents are just as lost as gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, those who are insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, foolish, faithless, heartless, or ruthless. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Parents, make sure that you are not provoking your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. As it was in ancient times when Israel stood before the Lord at Horeb and the Lord said to Moses, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. 
and that they may teach their children so. Parents, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Pay attention, parents, to this teaching. Incline your ears to God's word. We will open our mouths in parables. We will utter hidden wisdom from of old, things that we have heard and known that our parents told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might and the wonders that he has done. We must love the Lord, our, you must love the Lord your God with all our heart and our soul and our might. And these words that God has commanded us must be on our hearts. We will teach them diligently to our children. When we, we will talk of them when we sit in our homes and when we go from place to place and when we go to bed and when we wake up, we will keep them near to us at all times. And we will fill our homes with the truth of God's teaching. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We will continue in what we have learned and firmly believed and make sure that our children are acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make them wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In this way, we will train up our children in the way they should go in hopes that when they are old, they will not depart from the way of life. I'm telling you this, little children, because your sins are forgiven in his name's sake. I am telling you this, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am telling you this, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I tell you this, children, because you know the father. I tell you this, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I tell you this, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Remember the example of Jesus who, when he had washed the disciples' feet and put on the outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. As it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you would receive a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. 
Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In the context of all we read, what is doing evil? What would be doing right? Those in authority, husbands, parents, masters, elders, those in authority have a consistent instruction to be in charge in a way that is a blessing to those in their care. Not domineering, not arrogant, not selfish, but trying to serve in leadership in a way that blesses husbands blessing their wives, elders blessing the church, masters blessing their servants, parents blessing their children. Those who are in submission, those who are under that authority, consistently, what is the instruction? To submit with reverence, not to do things to please themselves, to serve those in charge in a way that is a blessing to them, to do so as if they were serving God, to do so not as sort of just sort of going through the motions, but to do their best. Children listening to their parents, servants listening to their masters, husbands or wives submitting to their husbands, the congregation submitting to the elders. And of course, this all goes back to the example of Jesus, right? Who ultimately is the one who's in charge. He is the master. And yet he served as a master in a way that was a blessing to us. That didn't make him not in charge, but it gives us an example for how those who are in charge are supposed to behave. And it gives us an example of how we, who chafe against authority, look to Jesus, who literally created all things, and see that he subjected himself to the will of the Father. Even though he was in charge, even though he had authority, he subjected himself. And if he could do that, congregation, couldn't we do that to the elders? Children, couldn't we do that to parents? Wives, couldn't we do that to husbands? All throughout the layers of the church. Those in authority with the responsibility to serve in a way that is blessing those in their care. Those who are in submission doing so as if they were serving God, because that's what you're doing at all levels, serving God. Shorter lesson tonight, we offer the invitation though. Wherever you are in your walk, you have some submitting to do. We all do. None of us are in charge of every part of our lives. It begins with submission to Jesus. We talked about repentance this morning. That's part of it. We've talked about faith toward God. Repentance is fundamentally an act of submission, right? An act of subjection. That we are putting ourselves under the rule of Jesus. And as an extension of that, then we obey him and all the things that he said, including the areas that we've talked about tonight. It's hard to submit. Maybe you're a wife and your husband's not great. Maybe you have a boss who is a real jerk. Maybe you've been part of congregations where the elders do not rule well. I don't think that's true here, but you may have been a part of that before. Of course, we think about the instructions to submit to earthly institutions. We know not all governments are great. But the invitation to submit to Jesus is to submit to a leader who is better than all of those. Who will show you what it means 
to serve someone who has your best interests at heart. That's what God asks you to do, to come to him and submit. And he doesn't ask you to do anything that he himself was not willing to do. Who, what did we read in Hebrews, cried out with loud prayers, was heard because of his reverence, but he didn't get his way. He still submitted. Why? For us.